Welcome back to the Fun Time Program. I'm one of your hosts, Vivica Volt, and here's my co-host. John Andrew Fredrickson. And today we are going to talk about natural hair and the Crown Act. What does the Crown Act stand for? The Crown Act stands for creating respectful and open world for natural hair. Creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. So so what is what is that about? Why is there a need for a Crown Act? This is a piece of legislation, right? It is, indeed. Um, it's a piece of legislation that is being backed by uh, some of the more popular legislators, um, specifically the squad. Um, when you say popular, what do you mean? You mean that people like them? Yeah, I mean, that's usually what we mean by popular. Okay. <laughs> popular in certain circles, I should say. Yeah. Some people don't like them as much, but you know, shit happens. <laughs> uh, people can be wrong. <laughs> po- popular in our circles, I, I think we should say. That's fine. Fair popular enough. in our circles. <laughs> so yeah, basically, um, it was a campaign that's being led by the Crown Coalition, and that was founded by Dove. And it's also... Uh, being used, or I'm sorry, being uh, founded by the National Urban League, the Color for uh, Color of Change, and Western uh, Center for Law and Poverty. So that's pretty cool. And basically, the need for the Crown Act is because currently there's 43 states. It's perfectly legal to discriminate against certain hairstyles that are deemed unprofessional, and the majority of those hairstyles that are deemed unprofessional are styles that are for natural black hair. So we're talking about box braids, dreadlocks, afros, just natural curly hair, or just wearing your hair as it grows out of your head is deemed unprofessional. So there is a need for legislation that makes it illegal to discriminate against these particular types of uh, workplace discrimination. So a woman or man or whatever gender you may be, shouldn't have to lose their job or be turned away from a job just because of the way their hair grows or have to turn their, uh, change their hair in a way that is damaging to their hair, which I think is probably the, the way that things end up going for people who want to take part in the workplace and are being discriminated against because of their hair. So then they have to change their hair to make it more, white centric or Eurocentric, I think mm-hmm. is the term that people use Eurocentric, to yep. fit in with, with the, uh, the workplace norms that many people don't even recognize as being racist. They just say, well, you know, these are just kind of the norms that are, are regular in the workplace and, you know, people should wear their hair like this without realizing that in order for somebody with a certain type of hair to make their hair look like that, they have to go through this crazy chemical processing and, 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 you know, stuff that's just generally not healthy for their hair. Yeah. I mean, speaking of chemical processing, there is a lot of uh, mystery around what goes into chemical straightening and what is a relaxer and what it does. Um, A lot of people think that a relaxer is similar to bleaching your hair, but that's actually uh, not a great comparison because it's actually much more damaging to not only your hair, but your body in general um, to have a relaxer put in than it is to get your hair bleached. Not that bleaching is a particularly great thing to do for your hair, but it's not as long-term damaging as a relaxer would be. Yeah. I've, I've bleached my hair twice. Um, both times for photo shoots and I regretted it both times because it, it felt like it absolutely just 
destroyed my hair, got rid of, you know, the natural waves that I have always loved in my hair, the things about my hair that are part of my identity. And you can kind of recognize that that hair is such an important part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I can't even imagine what that's like then to have to go through your life being forced to do this processing to your hair um, that that really takes away the natural identity of, of who you are and 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 who your people are, it, just in order to fit in with a workforce that is essentially now discriminating against you for your race and your your ethnicity. So, what has your experience been with, um, you know, hair hair products and, and straightening and that kind of stuff? Did you? Because obviously, since I've known you, you've been a big proponent of natural hair. No, that's not correct. I not mean, entirely true. I mean, is that, is that a really recent thing? Yeah. I mean, that just happened in January of this year and I've known you for easily over five years. Shows how much I pay attention. Yeah. Maybe not the closest. <laughs> um, so up until January of this year, um, I have been, well, actually, I guess technically uh, September of 2018 was the last time I got my hair relaxed. And I was considering getting it relaxed again in September of 2019 because um, I was trying to do it like once every six months or once every uh, year. But I pushed it back a little bit. And then in January, I made the decision to cut off all of my relaxed hair and just see what happens when I let it be natural. Um, what led you to that decision? Decision. Well, I mean, I had heard plenty of things about like the health risks of having relaxers. Um, but really it was mostly because I have never actually seen my natural curl pattern. So I don't, up until earlier this year, I had no idea how my hair looks when it naturally grows out of my head. My hair has always been relaxed so quickly that I've never had the opportunity to see what my natural curls actually look like, or if I have curls at all, or if it's just kinky and wavy or what is going on with my natural hair. So out of kind of curiosity and, um, wait a second, how, when, when did you start using these, uh, these, what are they? Chemical straighteners? Mm -hmm. when, when did you start? I was seven years old. So when, you hadn't seen your natural hair since you were seven. I mean, I, hadn't really seen my natural hair before I was seven because I don't remember. Wow. That's unbelievable. So so growing up almost your entire life that you can remember. Oh no, in my entire life. Right. Yeah. That you can remember. You've been using these hair straighteners mm -hmm. and you you didn't up until January, you didn't even know what your natural hair was like. Nope. That is unbelievable. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, wow. I feel like most people of color probably can, but it's one of those things where I Growing up, I was also always kind of made fun of for having any sort of like kinky hair at all. If my hair wasn't completely relaxed or completely straight. Um, made fun of by whom? Uh, just about anybody. Um, so my classmates would make fun of me. My own family would make fun of me. But were these people of similar ethnic background to you or were they different? I mean, my family is obviously similar ethnic background, but... Um, my schoolmates weren't, my mm. schoolmates were all white, but I was the only black kid until I was in 10th grade um, and finally went to public school. Wow. So uh, when I was in 10th grade and I went to public school, other people had natural hair too. And I thought that I was just hot shit because I got my hair 
relaxed and like my hair was always pressed and straightened and I was always flat ironing it. And so it was as straight and fine as it could possibly be. And I did that for years and years and years on end. And the amount of heat damage and chemical damage that that caused my hair, um, it was very distinct. And I had to do a whole lot of work outside of it to actually repair my hair from all the heat damage, protect my hair from the heat damage, protect my hair and my scalp from the chemical relaxing damage. And up until about 2013, um, I had never had a relaxer that didn't cause a chemical burn. Oh my goodness. And so you're doing this twice a year at this time? No, uh, I started doing it twice a year around 2015. So prior to that, how many times were you doing it? Uh, About every eight weeks. And you were burning your scalp every eight weeks? Yep. The second time I had my hair bleached, it burned. Um, I had really bad blisters from it. Um, The stylist was really trying to push a really, really light blonde because it was the look he was going for. And I just kind of suffered through it. I can't imagine doing that every eight weeks. It was, it was like torture. It really was. Oh yeah. I mean, getting a chemical relaxer is exactly torture. And it's as someone who has been tenderheaded my entire life, I can tell you that I have found ways to learn to deal with the pain long enough to keep the relaxer in long enough for it to take. But it was always one of the most painful things that I had to do to the point where my hairstylist would always be asking me, like checking in with me, okay, what level is the pain at now? And it would start off at like, just like a light itch, like a one or two. And I'm supposed to leave it in for a half hour. And by the time we got 20 minutes in, I was at a pain level of at least a seven or eight. Mm. And I'm like, it made it almost impossible for me to think straight. Yeah, I couldn't think past anything but like mitigating the pain. I couldn't sit still. My legs would be shaking and I would be gripping the chair as hard as I could just to keep it in a few minutes longer so that my hair would actually get straight. So, so you were doing this every eight weeks? Yep, six to eight weeks. From the time you were seven until four years, five, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And when I found my most recent uh, stylist, um, he was the first person that I had ever found in my entire life that didn't give me chemical burns. And mm. so I kept going back to him religiously because I didn't get chemical burns from him. But the stylist that I had had before him uh, burned my head so badly that I had a patch about this big in the back of my head that was all just uh, dried blood. Mm. Um, for like two or three weeks because he had just burned me so badly that there was, you know, just like raw skin happening. It was real great. It was wonderful, but my hair was super straight. My hair was so straight. (laughs) So straight. So so you had, had been taught from an early age that you had to have hair in a certain style that you had to go through these um, rituals of, of torture, as you described it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you entered in the workforce, it wasn't necessarily a new thing for you that it wasn't just because you were 
going into the workforce that you needed to do this, but you had already been taught from a young age in school that this was important. How, how early do you think that most, um, people are, are being forced into this, these kinds of, uh, uh, hairstyles? Well, this is really the first generation of kids that is being encouraged to embrace their natural hair. Mm. So this generation of kids, I'm seeing a lot more kids actually having their natural hair, actually having really cute styles with their natural hair. And obviously their parents are doing it up until a certain age, but like they're embracing, uh, their natural styles a lot more than I was ever socially able to do. So that's really encouraging that this is not a trend that seems to be persisting. And Mm. there's actually a big pushback against relaxers at this point, which is really great. What do you think is leading that push? Because it sounds like that's a society, uh, sort of like a cultural push rather than a legislative push. Because the Crown Act obviously is dealing with this from a legislative perspective of we don't want to allow businesses to discriminate against uh, people for how they wear their hair. Whereas what you're describing sounds like it's coming from more of a cultural side where it's it's re-embracing natural hair as something that's a part of your cultural identity and something that, that is valuable and something that you do want to push for and, and you know, and prioritize? Well, I think a good majority of the reason that there's a pushback, especially for coming from the black community against relaxed hair is the actual long-term health effects. So not Mm -hmm. only does it cause, uh, itchy flaky scalps, it causes dandruff. Um, it causes all kinds of other just like brittle hair. Your hair is much more likely to break and be damaged and have split ends. But you're also at a higher risk of uterine fibroids, blindness, breast cancer, and early puberty. Yeah. And so all of those long-term health effects are really serious and potentially deadly for straight hair. Right. And at this point, we, especially since there's been a lot more of a push from celebrities and from public figures who are wearing their hair naturally that it's being more normalized to see black people with natural hair and not see it as being too urban or too ghetto or unprofessional. It's being embraced, um, both through fashion and through social media and, uh, through different, like I said, celebrities, actually embracing their natural hair, it's becoming more of a thing. That's awesome. So, so where do you see this going from here? I mean, obviously the, the cultural push is going to be super important to make something like this normal, to make it something that people, regular people in society, they look at it and they don't see it as being some fringe issue, but something that's actually important to their communities. Um, I always look back at the, the gay rights movement, for example, where, um, it kind of went from being this fringe thing or it was like most people looked at the movement as basically don't ask, don't tell. You can be gay, just don't, I don't want to see it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there was no um, no desire for legislation outside of the gay community um, to, to provide rights for gay people. And then all of a sudden it, it flipped over the course of almost like a decade, it felt like in, in the 2010s up until, what was it 2013 when, when, when the Supreme Court finally um, ruled on that? And it felt to me like it happened in culture 
It happened through gay people having more exposure and culture and, and uh, normalizing living out and living proud so that regular people could be exposed to regular gay people and recognize, that, oh, you're just like me and there's no reason that you shouldn't have the same rights that I do. Um, so I always see these kind of cultural pushes as being really important to lead the way for the ability for the legislation to finally pass. Um, how do you see this playing out going forward with the Crown Act? I mean, it's really exciting that we already have, what is it, seven states, I think we said, have mm -hmm. already passed the Crown Act. So in those states, it is now illegal to discriminate against um, uh, people for their hair. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri just passed, I, I believe last week, just passed the Crown Act. So it's happening in many different local places, whether on the, the super local level or on the state level. But now we have the Crown Act has been passed in the House of Representatives mm -hmm. just, was it a week ago, two weeks ago? Sounds right. Yeah, just recently. So it's it's now passed in the House of Representatives, which, of course, is held by the Democrats at the moment. So um, unfortunately, this the voting on this seems to be going down uh, partisan lines just a little bit. If we look at the states that have not passed the Crown Act or, or that, that took it up for vote and didn't pass it, they tend to be red states. Not always. Oregon is, is a confusing one. I'd like to understand what's going on up in Oregon where they, they didn't want to pass the Crown Act. Maybe it's just too white. Yep. And so they don't get it. Yep. And then you look at Georgia, for example, but Georgia is, is a mix and it tends to, tends to vote red at the end of the day, even though there is a very large uh, African-American community in Georgia. That has their votes systematically disenfranchised. That's right. And that's a whole nother issue that we need to get into. But Stacey Abrams is doing great things down there. Sure um, is. So we definitely, we need to, is it the fair voting? Um, mm-hmm. Fair Voting Act or, or, or organization. Yeah, I think it's um, a fair voting organization. Is, is her organization that's, that's pushing for better voting rights in Georgia, which is going to be super important for changing things down there. But when it comes to getting this passed on the national level, what what is it going to take, do you think? Well, I think it's going to take a lot more normalization of seeing black people, especially black women with their natural hair and not immediately associating us with being militant or being, Ooh. uh, black extremists, which is a very distinct thing that has been happening since the seventies. So the seventies were the first time in history where black women actually started wearing their hair natural as it mm. grew okay. in America Obviously, we were doing that for eons when we were actually still in Africa and had access to our oils like shea butter and palm oil. But when we got brought here, we unfortunately no longer had access to the things that we needed to maintain our hair, but we also didn't have time to do the hair maintenance that is required of us because you're, when you're spending all of your time out in the fields and you have very little time to eat and sleep, you definitely don't have time to spend five hours doing your hair. And that led to a lot of uh, misshapen afros, a lot of headscarves and a lot of plantations actually required headscarves as a way of delineating free slaves versus uh, or free black people versus slaves. And Alexis Giandi, who wrote Angry Black Girl, did an entire chapter on black hair. And she is a historian who broke this down very eloquently. And I'm just like taking little snippets from her but 
obviously, if you read her book, she can go over this a lot better than I can. And I mean, I personally think her book is the race Bible. So what is the title of it again? Angry Black Girl. Mm-hmm. It's easily one of my new favorite books. Um, and she's super hot. Oh, my God. If you follow her on Twitter, be ready. She is thirst trapping. <laughs> you were having a little fun with that last oh, week. Oh, <laughs> she's so hot. I wasn't ready. I'm just here like, oh, this beautiful like historian. She's super smart. And then I get on her Twitter and I was like, holy Jesus Christ, she's so hot. I wasn't ready. I had to like. We're going to have to get her in the studio then. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would really like that. <laughs> I just kind of want to sit and tell her she's really hot for like an hour. <laughs> Maybe we're going to have to try to focus. Oh, sorry. Keep you can also subscribe to her OnlyFans. What's up? <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. She totally has an OnlyFans. She has a whole chapter in her book about sex work. What a modern world we live in. I love this. Historians with OnlyFans. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's 2020 in a nutshell. Yeah. She's super hot. PhDs and sex work. They go hand in hand. It's almost like <laughs> you do sex work to fund your PhD. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. What a new economy. So, so talk to me about uh, protective styles. What, what does that mean exactly? So protective styles are very specific styles that black women use. And obviously black men use this as well. And like every gender in between, but it's specific styles such as box braids, um, cornrows, you've got goddess locks, you've got dreadlocks, you've got a whole variety of styles that are meant to not only protect your hair. And when we say protect your hair, you're adding the way that these styles are put in, you're not only protecting the scalp, but you're also adding like leave-in conditioners, you're adding oils as you're doing it. So you're making it so that your hair is getting stronger and healthier as you're doing the style versus a style like straightening or, uh, like blow drying, which is causing heat damage and, negating any protections you may have. So right now my hair is blown out, but I made it a point to use it on very low heat and it took twice as long as it ever does. But I use very little heat because it was my first time blowing my hair out since January. And so it was the first time heat had been applied to my hair at all since January. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't damage my hair in the process of styling it because I've been putting a whole lot of effort into protecting my hair and doing protective styles since I cut off all of my relaxed hair. We should take a minute to talk about this fantastic crown that you've got going on on top of your head. You, you, you went a little special for today's episode, you did. didn't you? I, mean, I added some extra tools just to make it extra fancy. Beautiful. It's real nice. Beautiful, beautiful. You know. Is there a name for this style? No, not that I can think of. This I literally just... just kind of came up with this off the top of my head as I was doing my hair. Oh, you didn't have this planned. No. You knew you wanted to do something nice. The only thing that I had really planned was doing the three jewels in the front um, because I wanted to use the pink, blue, and purple uh, hair jewelry so that I could have a little allusion to the Bi Pride flag. What's up? <laughs> but other than that, no, I had no other plans for my hair whatsoever today. Beautiful, beautiful. So, so yeah, continue with the protective hairstyle. So, so it's all about uh, creating a style that, as you continue to style it over time, it contributes to the health of your hair, mm -hmm. and that's essentially protecting your hair and keeping right. your hair healthy. 
That's awesome. So examples. Let's let's talk about some examples of protective hairstyles then. Okay. So like I said, you've got like goddess locks, you've got dreads, you've got micro braids, box braids, um, cornrows, just like braids in general. Yeah. Awesome. I'm looking at some of these styles here from our our Evernote document. We'll put these up on the screen. These are just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So this is, these are, these are styles. These ones here, these are braids, right? No. So these are twists. Twists. Mm -hmm. All of them? No. These are twists. Right. Actually, all three of these are twists. Keep that microphone yeah. right in front of your face. So all three of these are all three of these are twists, but she's got braids down the side, mm -hmm. and there's different ways that the twists are being done. So those could also be considered goddess locks, the way that they're being done as well. But you know, they're all very similar but slightly different. So these would be something that that. Uh, they would style their hair like this and then keep it in for a long period of time? Yeah. So you're keeping that in for a minimum of a week to three weeks, depending on your maintenance of hair and how often you need to wash it. Um, some styles you can wash with the style in and do like a very minimum wash just to make sure that your scalp is getting clean, but you're not like rigorously rubbing your hair. Um, it's a lot harder with the twist because it like will take the twist out a little bit, but other styles like braids, especially cornrows can be washed in and kept for longer. And so as this is growing out, like two to three weeks, you said, uh, how do you, uh, what do you do with the, the parts that are growing in? Do you oh. have to take out the whole style and redo it or can I mean, you kind if of. If things start growing in, then yeah, you have to take it all out and redo okay. it. Okay. And so generally these last for a few weeks and then is this something you'd get done at a salon or are you able to do these kinds of styles yourself? It depends on your skill level. Huh. Um, it also depends on your patience, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, because not everyone has the patience to have their hands hands above their hair for two to five hours at a time. Wow. So these take two to five hours. Yeah. I mean, wow. doing twists like this, like these braids right here. Mm -hmm. You're looking at at least four hours of work. Unbelievable. And that's just for two to three weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I try not to cut my hair more than like every three months just because I don't feel like I have the time to go sit at a stylist for an hour. Yeah. I <laughs> more mean, frequently than that. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, black hair requires a lot of time maintenance. When I was getting my hair relaxed, I would be in the salon for four hours just getting my hair relaxed and then also blown out and then also flat ironed. And so by the time I was done, I would keep my hair straight and away from water for at least two weeks before I had to wash it again. And then washing it took anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And then once I washed it, it would take another 45 minutes to blow dry it and then another two hours to two and a half hours to straighten it. So- wow. In total, I'm still spending about five hours on my hair. And now it's similar time frames, um, but the styles are a little bit more versatile and a lot more water friendly, thankfully, and a lot more humid friendly, thankfully. So I can keep the styles in or adjust them as I go. Um, and so even though it still takes me about an hour and a half to wash my hair and get it uh, moisturized and conditioned and all that good stuff, um, it takes me a little bit less time to 
I don't have to worry about blow drying it, but it does take me more time to style it. But once I get my hair styled, it's styled in a way that's protecting it and adding more nutrients to it. So I'm adding leave-in conditioner, I'm adding oils, and there's so much more versatility than just straight. Right. Or curls. So (laughs) so the natural hair movement isn't just about like not having to do the work of straightening your hair. It's about being able to wear your hair in a way that's healthy for your hair and healthier for your body. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like Without you're still being shamed for it. You're yes. still, there's still plenty of opportunity to put a ton of work into your hair, even yep. with natural hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why black consumers spend, as we saw nine times more on hair and beauty than other ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. Um, is, are there ways to wear natural hair that don't require a ton of work? Yeah. I mean, there are wash and wear styles. Um, I haven't mastered that just yet. I'm still very new at my natural hair journey. So wash and wear is still a little precarious for me, um, especially because I don't quite know what my natural curl pattern is just yet. Um, It takes a little over a year to sometimes up to three years before your hair balances out after being relaxed for so long that it your natural curl pattern actually properly starts to show through. So there are parts of my hair, especially like in the front that are significantly straighter or like less curly or won't curl as much as the back of my hair. The back of my hair curls really tight and like a fun 4C kind of curl. And the front is like, three C and I'm like, what is happening? Where, where is, why is it such a different texture from the front to the back? And that is absolutely a byproduct of relaxing your hair, but also no one's hair is perfectly one texture all the way through. Right. That's so interesting. What were the terms you were using to describe the texture? Yeah. So, uh, three C and four C there is like a scale of, um, one to four and ABC of different hair textures. So white girls and like people who have really fine, straight, thin hair are usually considered um, 1A or 1B kind of a thing. The more wavy your hair gets, the more it leans into the B or the C. And the more curly it is, or the more kinky it is, the further down the number scale it is. Mm, so 3C is like? So 3C would be natural curls, but they're kind of like ringlet curls. So almost like a Shirley Temple kind of a look mm-hmm. or like that beachy waves curl kind of a look. And then so you said 4C was? 4C is like Afro curls. So you had both, you were, you were describing your hair as three C and four C. Yeah. My hair is just a whole conglomeration of things. It's, it's a whole mess right now, but I love it though, because it's a fun adventure for me to embark on and see where my hair actually is at any given time and see how it's changing over time. And as I'm changing different products and as I'm changing different brushes and doing different techniques and doing different protective styles, it's molding into more of what I want to see. It's also changing, um, textures in different places and Mm. yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. Wow. That's wonderful. So obviously you haven't spent a ton of time working in, in, in really a corporate environment. 
that's incorrect. Oh, really? You have done corporate work here in New York? I've done a lot of corporate work. What? Just before I came to New York. Okay. I mean, well, okay. So here in New York, since I've known you, we've kind of like yeah, bumped and bounced around and in sort of the like yeah. arts and, and, and hospitality industries. And, and do you feel like a, maybe there's more of an opportunity for you to explore your natural hair or is it more accepted in those industries versus like a corporate so world? It would be, I found that it's a lot easier for me to get a job in the service industry with more variety in my hair, not necessarily saying that natural hair is more accepted in the service industry versus corporate, but corporate, if I didn't have my hair pressed the fuck out, the likelihood of me getting a call back on an interview was incredibly low. Right. So what I wonder is how does this legislation even work? Because you can't discriminate against somebody for that, but you could also just not call them back on their interview. Mm-hmm. So, so how exactly would that get enforced? So it's really more of if I were to get a job, I can't then be told by my employer, hey, we really like you. We like everything about you, but we need you to change your hair. So they can't do it overtly. They can still find kind of like subtle ways to work around hiring people that Mm -hmm. are going to wear their hair in a natural way. Um, Like you don't fit the culture. Right. Or they find another reason to fire you if all of a sudden you decide to start going natural when previously you were playing by the rules, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So so I guess the legislation is, is important because... It makes it it makes it harder for people to do it intentionally and overtly and mm-hmm. without consequence. So they have to find ways to work around it, which I guess is a step forward. But it sounds like in order to get kind of full a full embracing of natural hair, it has to come from more of a cultural perspective, right? right. You have to you have to change the culture that enables people to feel like they can discriminate against these things in the same way that um, you know uh, people are much less likely to be overtly homophobic today right? than they would have been 15 years ago. Um, that change comes from culture. It doesn't come from legislation. So it sounds like the, the cultural uh, changes are really, really important here. Who do you think is leading the way in that regard? I mean, it's awesome to see Dove, for example, being a leading sponsor on this campaign. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see that there are other kind of corporate interests in, in the, in the beauty world, at least that are, that are pushing pushing the ball forward in this or is it mostly coming from from individual people like celebrities and and people like that i mean in the beauty world you have brands like fenty which is owned by rihanna who is absolutely celebrating not only black hair black skin and um black bodies but like very much celebrating all body types and Mm -hmm. her line of uh, Fenty X, which is her lingerie line. Savage, I think it's Savage called. X, right. Yeah. Fenty is her beauty line. Right. Savage X is her uh, lingerie line. So her lingerie line is very body inclusive. I quite and, like it too. It's it's nice stuff. Yeah. And she is now coming out with uh, lingerie for men or male-bodied persons. Wait, really? Yeah. Rihanna's making... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was real great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 I'm going to have to try that out. It's, it's a whole like, it's a whole thing. So I'm really excited to see where that's going to go. Cause I mean, Savage X started really great and it's moving in a great direction. Very body positive, very black centric. Um, but obviously not only for black people, but 
putting black people forward and putting black bodies in a place of being uplifted, which is really important. Um, and it's also interesting to see people like Lizzo, who is a really big figure in media right now. Lizzo makes it a point to not only have protective styles in her hair because obviously she needs protective styles, but she has her dancers on stage having their natural hair. She has her backup dancers either wearing their natural hair, wearing traditionally black styles or doing different styles that are, that have traditionally been seen as very militantly black, especially in the seventies and eighties. So going back to a point that I was making earlier in the seventies, it was the first time like the late sixties, early seventies during the civil rights movement was the first time Mm -hmm. that we saw black people, especially black women wearing their hair naturally as it grows and having the time to maintain their curls and what have you. And that came about from the black power movement. And so that was where you see Afros and, um, very distinctly black styles being labeled as, uh, militant or, um, black extremist. And then in the eighties, you had things like Jerry curls, which, That was a whole, the eighties were wild. (laughs) Eighties were really wild. And then in the nineties, it was again, this situation where you didn't see Afros as much. You saw a lot of box braids and micro braids and, um, weaves and wigs. And there was still kind of a push to have not only relaxers, but to have presentable hair. And so, towards the late nineties and early two thousands, when black women started embracing their natural hair more, it was the first time since before slavery that we have been able to actually show off our hair, how it grows out of our head without society constantly shaming us for it. And that came about from having a lot of very visible celebrities like Solange, uh, be in the public eye with their natural hair. So now for the next generation, you have people like Lizzo, like I said, who is making it a very distinct point to constantly be portraying pro-black hair. And that is hugely empowering. And you've got stuff like the hair love video, which was written by just the sweetest black man. Yeah. We'll have to link to that in the, in the description. It's such a beautiful video. Oh my God. It made me cry yeah. because you have this cute little girl watching YouTube videos and wanting to do like styles. And that's also another really great thing is that because we're in the age of YouTube, you have all of these, uh, you have the ability to learn how to do all of these new styles. So when I started my hair care journey, I had no idea how to actually take care of natural hair. Wow. So I turned to YouTube and basically just typed in like styles for transitioning hair, styles for natural hair, protective styles, and all these tutorials um, from all these lovely women popped up. And I was able to find someone who had hair texture similar to mine doing a style that looked like something I wanted to reproduce. And I was able Mm. to follow her tutorial and figure it out and try it out on my own and 
okay, this worked. Okay, this didn't work quite as well. Like Bantu knots are a whole situation that like, I like them, but oh my God, they take forever to put in. And they like, they're such a pain because like sometimes the curls are just so perfect and other times Oh, they'll betray you. And if you spend five hours putting Bantu knots in and you sleep with those for like two days and you come out and like some of the curls are just like, Wah. it is really, really upsetting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I found other ways to have really fun hairstyles that work a little bit better for my hair texture. And that again comes from being able to watch YouTube and watch other uh, women who have tried this before me, who have found things that work for them. This style was, came about because I had seen other videos and tried other styles that I had found in a tutorial. And I was like, Oh, that's a really cool style. I want to try that. And I tried it and I was like, okay, well this worked kind of, but it didn't work quite as well as I wanted it to. And it didn't quite fit my frame, like the frame of my face as well. And I wonder if I could tweak it and just like figuring out how to tweak it for my face and for my hair, you get this. So it's really encouraging to see that the next generation is going to have access to all of this information that I never would have had as a kid where they can learn how to actually maintain and take care of their hair in a way that I had no idea what to do as a kid and my mom had no idea how to take care of my hair and she called it a bird's nest and because she couldn't Mm. get a comb through it, which fun fact, detangling brushes are a whole thing and they are so much better than combs and I highly recommend a brush called the natural brush and or a tangle teaser because Jesus Christ getting an actual detangling brush changed my whole life. Well, we're going to have to put some links into the show description for that. Yeah. No, absolutely amazing. Changed my whole hair game. And I was pulling out less hair as I was detangling. Detangling became significantly faster and easier and didn't hurt, (laughs) which, you know, as much as I love pain, I don't. (laughs) Um, It was really nice to not have to constantly go through pain every time I wanted to detangle my hair. Being a masochist should not be a requirement for... uh, Having detangled hair? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) So so that's so interesting because we've talked about sort of the legislative push where it's like you need to make these things... not possible to be discriminated against in the workforce, as well as in the schools. I mean, we talked about specific, we we didn't talk about, we looked up some specific examples of how this kind of discrimination starts in the schools before, um, you know, kids have even had a chance to really have a relationship uh, with their hair out in the world after just being in school. So uh, here are three examples that are just, you know, kind of heartbreaking. Um, In 2017, a charter school outside Boston issued multiple detentions to black 15-year-old girls who wore their hair in braided extensions, saying the hairstyle violated the the dress code. But what was the dress code specifically? The dress code specifically was basically don't be black. Yes. So it was basically, you know, you have to have your hair in certain styles that were deemed okay by white styles. Yes. In 2018, a referee in New Jersey, this is just, 
I mean, I, I this just, one pissed me off so goddamn it's, much. It's just it like absolutely still boils my fucking blood every time I think about it. And like, I know this happened a couple of years ago, but like, I'm still mad for this little boy because my cousins. Well, let's out, let's say what it is real my, quick first. A, a my, referee yeah. in New Jersey forced a 16 year old mixed race wrestler to cut his dreadlocks or forfeit his match. There must've been some kind of rule that if you there wanted to no wrestle rule. in this, so he's just forcing the kid to cut his dreadlocks, even yep. though there's no rule about it. I mean, that's, it's, it's just unreal. So here's what actually happened. The background story of that. Uh, the kid who had to cut his dreadlocks was basically everybody knew going into the match, he was going to win this match. Mm-hmm. And the other coach basically pushed for the referee to have the kid cut his dreadlocks saying that it was a danger or a disadvantage, blah, 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 blah. Now, mind you, this kid had been wrestling for quite some time with his dreads. No problem had gone through many matches before this and had never had a problem. But suddenly this one particular match that everyone knew he was going to win, he either had to cut his locks or forfeit the match. And Knowing he was going to win the match, he said, fuck it and cut his dreadlocks. However, that was such a distinct act of racial discrimination because dreadlocks are such a personal and deep thing. And it it is years of work that you're putting into a specific style. You're not just doing dreads overnight. You're not just doing dreads for a couple weeks and taking them out. Once you start dreading your hair, you're dreading your hair for years. The only way to stop dreading your hair is to cut it all off. And my cousins out in California, my one cousin, um, Jamie, he, his mom had started dreading his hair from the moment he started getting hair. And when I met him, when he was 13, he had dreadlocks down to his, like the top of his ass. And he was maybe 10 years old at the time. He was a little kid with the longest dreads and he kept growing his dreads until he was old enough that he decided on his own, he wanted to change his style. And If he had had dreads that long walking into that match and been told that he had to cut his hair, I know for a fact that my aunt would have burned that school to the ground Mm. because of the, um, she spent his entire childhood building up those locks. And so you're not just throwing away her wasted time, effort, and energy, but you're not only disrespecting her and her choice for her child, but you're also disrespecting that child's choice for how they want to present themselves to the world. So especially because this kid was 16, this kid obviously knew he wanted to have dreads. He chose to have dreads and he had put time, effort, and energy and money into having dreads. It's not just like your hair naturally dreads and that like looks cute. No, you're putting hours of work in every few weeks to twist those dreads, to make them neat, to keep them clean. And so having him cut them off for a match just because you didn't want him to win is disgusting. And it pisses me off. It boils my blood so fucking much. So, so this, these are, these are specific examples of why legislation is needed, that cultural change isn't enough. Cultural change 
change is there to, to try to help get as many people on board with understanding why these things are important and understanding why we need to have more empathy towards each other around these issues. Um, and it's the only way to have empathy is through cultural and societal change, right? right. People understanding each other. Um, but the legislation is also necessary so that Examples like this cannot happen because even if everybody there was booing the referee and saying, hey, we don't like this rule because turns out it was a rule. You can't have hair below your eyebrows or past your earlobes or past your shirt collar. And what was interesting, though, is in this case, that wasn't the rule that the referee cited. The no. other rule is that you can't have uh, the hair has to be natural. And, and he claimed that dreads were, were not a natural way of wearing your hair. So I think Which to them, to his, interpretation, his interpretation of natural meant that it just wasn't styled in any capacity. So you have to have hair that's a certain amount of shortness and it can't be styled. And, and I imagine that, that that rule, obviously, in this case, could be uh, interpreted as, as being extremely racist. Um, the, at least in reading the article, the referee and other people supporting the referee are claiming it has nothing to do with race. It's of just because not. it's like safety for the wrestlers. They can't have sure. long hair to pull on or to get caught in things. Uh -huh. um, so it's important, though, that we have legislation that ensures that this kind of discrimination uh, is, is illegal, especially when it happens overtly like this. Um, and, and obviously... If you if you if you're going to research online, you're going to find a ton more examples like this. And the the thing to remember though is that these are only the things that are kind of sitting at the top, the the, the tip of the iceberg. That this kind of stuff is happening all over the country. It's happening to, to kids of all ages. It's happening in the workplace, and it's happening in ways that we don't hear about it. Mm -hmm. And that's why the legislation is so important. But again, then the cultural aspect is so is so important as well because it changes people's hearts and minds. But it's so interesting to hear you talk about how technology is enabling people to embrace um, learning about these things uh, in a way that that maybe they wouldn't have necessarily been able to do 15 years ago before YouTube. Right. And that's really exciting to hear about because, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about how technology is kind of ruining our lives right now. Right. It's really easy to take that really negative approach on technology, but it's so important to remember the ways that technology is changing our world for the better and to really embrace those ways so that when we are dealing with the challenges that technology also brings along, we can deal with those challenges from perspective of these challenges are worth dealing with mm -hmm. because of the positives that, that we're coming along with it. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so back to the crown act though, it is so exciting that this act is getting passed at the local level, at the state level, has passed the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. is now ready to go to Mitch McConnell's desk. Which I did a little gonna research. Which is going to die at Mitch McConnell's desk well, until we vote him out. Because well, well, fuck well, Mitch McConnell. As much as I want to blame Mitch McConnell for this, this I'm gonna one. I'm going to blame him for everything. For everything. Yes, I know. <laughs> and I ain't no Mitch McConnell apologist. But <laughs> sounds like you are right now. I, I did a little bit of research on, on the time that it usually takes for a bill to go from uh, passing in the House to being uh, to, to reaching the floor of the Senate for a vote. And it's somewhere, somewhere around 250 days. So it looks like um, it it is unlikely that it would have seen a vote in the Senate this year regardless. Right. So we're talking about next spring. We're talking about a new Senate. Hopefully. We're talking yes. about having the chance to have a say in which senators get to debate and get to vote this 
mm-hmm. on this pill. And, and how do we do that? Important. How do we do that? We go to the polls starting here in New York on October 24th. Polls Throwback open. to our voting episode in if case you, guys, you need any of that information. If, if, if you have any questions about voting or why it's important. I mean, if, if we haven't made the case here about why it's important, we go into even more detail about why it's important to be voting this year. And um, polls open October 24th in New York. Mm-hmm. They are opening uh, all across the country Get early, early this year. On. That means you can go into the polling booth and vote in person early. And they have multiple, multiple days where you can go in and vote. You don't have to wait for November 3rd. November 3rd is the last day. Think of it as the deadline to vote. And then if you are doing your absentee ballot, you should already be on that. Uh, you should already have your absentee ballot um, requested and you should be receiving them fairly soon. Mm-hmm. So yes, the CARES Act, if you care about natural hair, if you care about protecting uh, the rights of everyone really Mm -hmm. who wants to wear their hair in a way that is natural and healthy for them, um, then you should care about voting this year because who we vote into the Senate is going to make all the difference in whether or not this specific bill gets passed most likely in spring or summer of 2021. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Talk to your friends. Let people know about this. The Crown Act is a really exciting piece of legislation. I'm so excited to see California, New York, New Jersey, Washington State, Colorado, Maryland, Virginia. I think that's it. Seven states. I don't know if you noticed any similarities about those states. Is there a common theme among these states? Oh, Anything? I mean, is it Anything? that they're all blue states? Yeah. It seems like so, they're all blue states. <laughs> um, in, our, in our research on this, it appears that this this bill is is doing well in blue states is not doing well in red states. There are the weird outliers like Oregon. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on in Oregon. I guess maybe it's just... Sounds about white. It's also maybe full of a lot of those... Um, what do we call them? The, the, the You know that, that meme of like the, the liberal hippie white girl with the dreads who's like telling everybody how to live their lives, but like yeah. totally appropriating other people's culture? White liberals. We, we kind of... I don't know. Maybe... I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions here, but that's kind of how I picture Oregon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like half of Portland. And so they're like, what? Well, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going on up there? But this legislation is so important. It's, it's so exciting to hear uh, how technology is enabling us to have these conversations so that we can raise awareness about this. It's enabling um, uh, celebrities to... Uh, reach a wider audience uh, with, you know, the way that they are caring about these issues as well. We talked about Lizzo today. We talked about, you know, how this happened in the 70s and 80s and even some in the 90s. But now when people are embracing the natural hair movement, they're able to do it on on such a bigger platform Mm -hmm. that kids growing up in the modern world today are being exposed to natural hair as a natural thing is a normal thing. It's not some abomination. It's not something that needs to be changed. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that even if we don't get this act passed this year, this year or next year, that the, the, the general groundswell of support for this idea is changing in this country. I mean, absolutely. The only thing that I have a little bit of an issue with is like, I'm hoping that when we address the systemic discrimination and we start addressing the societal discrimination, um, the amount of appropriation will actually diminish a little bit because right now you have the discrimination of hair, specifically of black hair is directly leading to 
the cultural appropriation of black hair. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah. We should talk about that a little bit, actually, because, I mean, in our cultural appropriation episode, we talked about how um, the difference between sort of cultural exchange and appropriation is when you have this power dynamic where certain people are allowed to wear their hair that way. And then the cultures who kind of created those styles and, and for whom those styles are a part of their cultural identity are being discriminated against for those styles. And that's what makes cultural appropriation so um, frustrating, angering, right? When, when you see yes. some, some white lady in the suburbs wearing her hair in a style that you would be discriminated disrespectful. against. Disrespectful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so do you think that as we're able to change uh, the discrimination, as we're able to limit the discrimination, as we're able to make things, um, make, make society a healthier and more welcoming place for natural hair, do you think that cultural appropriation will become less of an issue, that people will be able to have a some amount of cultural exchange over this in a way that is less disrespectful once we've moved past the discrimination? I don't think that there's going to be more of a cultural exchange. I think that when the normalization of black hair and protective styles becomes common, you're going to have a lot easier of a time discussing why appropriation is still so offensive because protective styles for black hair do not protect white hair and in fact do quite the opposite. A lot of protective styles for black hair are very detrimental to white hair and cause breakouts and cause hair loss and cause bald spots. But that's not talked about in the same way because, oh, well, they look really cute. And, you know, like Becky has her hair done and it's so fun. Except if you know that the reason that black women are doing it isn't because it's fun and it's cute, which we do make it look great. But you can put any hairstyle on a black woman and it will look great. That is just facts. Um, it's not that it's just cute and fun for us. We're doing it because it's one of the styles that is actually protecting our hair and it is helping our hair become healthier. It's helping our hair grow. It's helping our, uh, helping our hair be better overall and be healthier overall. So copying those styles and damaging your hair to copy those styles is not only disrespectful, but it's just not a good thing for you. Like maybe don't hurt your hair to copy our styles when there's so many styles that you can do that aren't going to hurt your hair and that aren't going to be damaging long-term that are going to be so cute and look amazing on you that aren't going to be appropriation. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why being a lot more open about the differences between natural hair and protective styles for natural hair and why black people wear specific styles that are deemed black. Okay. Well it's because they protect our hair. So we wear those styles because we need to protect our hair. So maybe don't copy them. So you see the, um, the sort of the, the cultural expansion of knowledge around this topic as helping the issue or the, the, the understanding of cultural appropriation as well. Mm-hmm. 
you think that these, the, those two those two hope, things yeah. go go hand in hand. Yeah, that's really interesting. Absolutely. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing this conversation continue on a national level. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we can get some really interesting people in here to talk to about these issues because I think there's so many interesting people that are are working on this, uh, whether it's from the legislative side or from the cultural side, the technological side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think of these things as kind of be a, being a three-pronged approach to educating people and to changing the world. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We've, we've already looked up quite a few people that are involved in Getting the Crown Act passed. They've done some really awesome um, events where they've had some really incredible speakers uh, come in and talk about why this issue is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, hopefully, we can get some of them here on, on the podcast because I think it'll be really interesting to delve even deeper into this topic, get to know more about it, and, and share that with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm always down to talk about black hair because it's a whole journey. How has your identity changed? since you've gone natural? It's been interesting because I have always perceived myself, especially from a very young age, as trying to fit into more of a Eurocentric standard. And going natural, it has not only allowed me to embrace my hair, but it's helped me embrace my identity as a black woman and embrace my skin tone in a way that I love myself a lot more. And having embraced my natural hair, every time I see someone with natural hair on the street, I love their hair so much. It doesn't matter what style it's in. It doesn't matter like if it's like it needs a little work or whatever. I don't care. I love it walking down the street. Whereas when I was younger, um, I had this disdain for it. I had like there was a massive pushback, uh, even just from like within myself where I would see someone with natural hair and think, Oh, she's so ghetto or, Oh, that looks just so urban. And it always felt like I was using it as a means of pushing myself out from that and distinguishing myself out from that. And embracing my natural hair has allowed me to recognize that, wow, that is yet another part of the internalized racism that I had to unlearn that it wasn't just my own disdain for the way that it looks. It was my need to feel more white in that I felt like, oh, well, you know, if I have hair that's comparable to white girl hair, like it's, I'm practically white, it's fine. But then actually seeing my hair in like a big fro for the first time and having it look amazing and look like something where I felt like I just stepped out of like a seventies movie and it just felt so much more empowering. And it, I felt so uniquely myself for the first time. And I felt so uniquely in tune with myself and with my hair. And I felt like my hair has become much more of an extension of my personality and much more of an expression of who I am across the board. And it doesn't feel like I'm hiding behind my hair. It feels like my hair is helping me relate to the world around me. And wow. 
helping me identify myself a little bit more. That's amazing. What has your experience been like in terms of um, everyday life? Has, have you noticed a difference? Oh yeah. People treat me completely different with natural hair. Um, Good, bad, both. A little bit of both. Uh, It seems that with my natural hair, people think that I'm less educated, which I find really interesting. Um, I find that people feel the need to explain things to me more than they did when I had straight hair. I experienced this in in terms of like riding the subway, wearing a suit or riding the subway, wearing my club clothes, for example. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget in my club days that you used, you know, you used to ride the subway home at like four or five, six in the morning. Right. And you know, I'd be, I'd be going home looking sweaty and kind of a mess and maybe a little cracked out or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. and the looks I would get from people, especially if you're riding late enough where it's people who are now starting to go to work, right. The judgment, the way that people would look at you was just hilarious. I would go home, I would change into a suit. I'd take a shower, change into a suit and go to work. And just, just completely differently the way that people look at you and treat you. And, and I could see how, how that could be similar to what you were describing here. The difference is this isn't just clothing. Right. This is your hair. Right. And it's also something that I can't really hide. Like, I mean, I could wrap my hair up in a scarf or a bandana, but there's still a lot of stigma around headscarves. There's still a lot of stigma around um, wrapping your hair up. And having it be seen as, again, more militantly black or more uh, of a black extremist thing. And it's really frustrating because, again, as pro-black as I am, which I am very pro-black, it's I'm not wearing my hair natural as a statement of being pro-black. I'm wearing my hair naturally for my own health benefits and for my own necessity and for my own curiosity in what my hair is capable of and what it looks like. And I basically made the decision that I didn't want to die having never known what my hair, like my curl pattern is. I wanted to at least experience every version of my hair and see what its capabilities were all the way through. So Having my hair natural has nothing to do with me being pro-black or being militant, but it's very interesting to see how many people give me that side eye and make those assumptions about me, especially when my hair is much bigger. And we're talking about just like walking around the streets and riding the subway in New York City, Mm -hmm. which is a place that you would think would be at least further along on the progressive scale of people being educated or accepting of of these issues. Yeah. I mean, I found that like when my hair is styled and I have like twists or Bantu knots in or what have you, when I have the Bantu knots in the way that people look at me, it, they very much think that I'm this very radical pro black person. And I'm like, that's even here in New York. Yeah, of course. We have so far to go from a cultural perspective. I can't tell you how many white people will comment on my hair when I have Bantu knots in. Like, oh, that's such a funky hairstyle. Or, oh, that's that's such an interesting hairstyle. Yeah, I'm trying to get curls tomorrow. Just like people on the street will walk up to you and say that's an interesting hairstyle? Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that. Or like if I walk into a store, like a clerk or a salesperson, it's almost always one of the first things that people comment on. And it's not a compliment. It's literally, literally just like, Oh, that's interesting. Like they're confused by it. 
sometimes they say it in a way that sounds like a compliment, but it's really just, wow, that's so, how you walked out of the house today. So when we talk about the need for cultural change, right, obviously it's happening from celebrities, it's happening in media, it's happening in ways that people who are exposed to that media mm -hmm. can have their hearts and minds changed. It sounds to me like the people that you're bumping into aren't necessarily exposed to that media. So how do we have cultural change for people like them? Well, I mean, again, they're coming across people like me in their everyday lives. So seeing someone like me, I have no problem being eccentric. I have no problem being the unusual person that they see for the day, the person that like sticks with them and they go home and tell their friends, oh, I saw this girl with crazy hair today. Mm. And then they start seeing more women like me or they start seeing more people with Bantu knots like me. And it becomes less of, oh, I saw that crazy style again. It's, oh, this is a lot more common of a style. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. So it's, it's really about having more people feeling confident to wear their hair in these styles mm -hmm. and for people to see more people like that, right. to see that they are regular, normal, upstanding members of society. They're not just weird eccentrics like you and I. <laughs> I mean, again, I had no problem being the eccentric But, but the person, important but thing yes. is what I'm getting at is that this is, it's a, it's a, what's the term? It's not a double-edged sword because it's a, it's a good thing, but it's like, it's, it's two, two sides of the same coin. You need to enable people to feel comfortable wearing their hair in these styles in order for more people to do it, in order for more people to see them doing it and for them to see it as being normalized for it to become easier to pass more legislation or to, or to just, you know, encourage more of the cultural change. So right. it, it, it goes both ways. You, you, you enable people to feel comfortable doing it, which enables more people to see them doing it, which enables more people to be comfortable with the idea of them doing it. Absolutely. And that's why this, this movement is so, is so important. That's why people who are leading the charge, mm -hmm. like our lovely Vivica Volt right here are so important. And, and yeah. Um, so if, if you see that, that people around you are starting to embrace natural hair more, um, let's uplift them. Let's, yeah. let's find ways to encourage it. I will say one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things is getting compliments from black women. I've noticed this. Oh, I yeah. love compliments from black women. And because I am a black woman, I love giving out compliments. Like if I see someone like I will shout a compliment at people as I'm biking by. Like if I love your hair, you will know I love your hair. I love that. <laughs> How does it feel coming from a white man? Uh, I mean, it's fine. I Because like, I haven't quite it. felt comfortable enough to do it, even though I've had many times where I've been like, oh, my God, I love that girl's hair. I'm still a little nervous. Well, the thing is like, like I'm I, not sure if it's coming across as like, I mean, I like compliments in general, as long as they're being said as compliments and not like, Hey, I need to talk to you. So right. this is, well, well come I'm on, you know me, you attention. know me. I, I don't right. really hit on people like that. And I try to, I try to pay people compliments in a way that doesn't come across that way, but I've recognized a reticence in myself, uh, a lack of confidence in myself to be able to compliment beautiful black women on their beautiful natural hair. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that maybe I need to get over and, ex and just experiment more of more with and, and, you know, learn from the reactions that I get and, and see if I can find a way to do that in a way that is, that comes across uh, in, a, in a way that is well received. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, if you're just walking down the street and you see someone, some see someone with great hair and you're just like, Oh wow, your hair looks really great today. Okay. 
great. Right. Especially if you're not stopping dead Don't in say your today. tracks. Just say, I love your hair. That's implying like, Hey, it probably wasn't great yesterday. Well, I mean, how would you know? <laughs> this is a stranger on the street. No, I just, I just, that's my, that's my thing. I'm just how saying to, like, this, this is an interesting conversation. How to, how to pay women compliments without coming across as a weird creep. anyone tell me like, Oh wow, you look great today. Thanks. Right. I know, but that's you. Okay. But a lot of other women like it too. No, I know that too. But I also know that some people get a little weirded out when some random person on the street or on the subway. You got to know your audience. You got to know the the place, the time. Yeah. One of the easiest ways to make it very obvious that you're giving someone a compliment and not catcalling them is don't stop what you're doing to do it. Right. So if you're walking, yes. continue this walking. Like I'm not... I'm just letting you know, hey, you look really great. I'm gonna keep moving. Right. Like I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not turning my whole body to tell you. I'm just, oh yeah, you look fantastic. You don't do that weird pause where you now stare at them waiting for a reaction. Yeah. You no. know what I mean? The thing is, <laughs> why I'm, can't I get a smile, girl? <laughs> yeah. Just because you're giving me a compliment does not warrant a reaction from me in any capacity. Exactly. A lot of times when I hear a genuine compliment, I will go out of my way if I can to say, thank you. I really right. appreciate it or what have you. But, but it like, shouldn't be a requirement. It's definitely not a requirement. Cause I'm, then you're not just asking for a compliment. Then you're not just giving a compliment. You're asking for them to engage with you in right. conversation, which is not always welcomed on the streets of New yeah, York my, for good reason. I, yeah, you know, you're not entitled to my time. Exactly. We're always constantly being harassed by people. And 99% of the time I'm going to brush people off and be like, no, I'm, you're not, you haven't done anything to earn my engagement yeah, are you with you right me? now. Then you're not entitled to my time. Right. So yeah, paying compliments is a good thing as long as you do it without expecting something in return. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a good way to to, to take that. Story. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation. I've learned so much about, you know, why this movement is so important, um, what it means to the daily life and experience of individual people, mm -hmm. what it's meant for you, what your life experience has been with this. Um, yeah, there's so much more work to be done on this. The Crown Act needs to be passed nationally. We need to vote for Democrats. I'm sorry. It, 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 at the end of the day, I mean, if there are Republicans that are supporting this bill, great, vote for them too. But call your local representatives, talk to the people that are running in your district and ask them, what is your position on the Crown Act? It's that simple. You know, if you care about these kinds of issues, get out and vote and make sure that you educate yourself on, well, you know, what your politicians think about this. Um, what else do you have to say about, about natural hair in the Crown Act? I mean, I'm really excited that the Crown Act is even a thing that's being legislated because, I mean, prior to 2019, there was not a single state in the United States where it was illegal to discriminate against hair. So We're talking one year. This one is, year. This is a very fast moving push. And I'm really excited to see where it's going to go in the future because, I mean, in 2019, you had one state that passed it and then two states that passed it. And now we have seven and it's being pushed on a national level, which it wasn't before. And like in 2018, I couldn't go searching for a job with my natural hair right. because the likelihood is I was not going to get hired for a job. And I'm yeah. not saying that having um, discrimination against hair being passed in New York is going to change how employers discriminate against me. Legislation. But, right. Um, but it's definitely going to change how they see things right. and how they interact with me. They're going to be more careful. Um, mm -hmm. the, the nice thing too about the Crown Act is it actually um, requires uh, – jobs uh businesses to do training on on the 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 
the legislation. So mm-hmm. they can't just, you know, they have to change their employee handbooks. They have to actually have wording in there that lets people know you can't discriminate against this. Right. And they have to, you know, train their employer employees to understand, you know, how they have to uh, handle this issue, which is super important. Do you see yourself ever going back to chemically treated straightening um, for job purposes, or would you just completely avoid working in a scenario where you felt the need to have to do that? Oh, I mean, if they're going to be paying me, oh, I don't know, 200000 a year <laughs> or more to straighten my hair chemically, sure, I'd consider it. Okay. But like... Everybody's got a price. I mean... But for, for your but for, for, for your everyday job that was no different than, than another job. For yeah. a year, get fucked. Yeah. No, I'm keeping my hair exactly as it is, and I will happily turn down jobs that require me to have straight hair. Because the thing is, like, I can straighten my hair with a flat iron. I can absolutely get incredibly straight hair. Right, but do you want it to be a daily requirement? Right. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean... We're now living in a time where you can do this and you can do it in a way that it's not going to ruin your life. Right. You're not going to lose all your job prospects. Right. And you can do it in a way where you're, you're you're paving the way for more people to be able to do it by raising awareness, by exposing your beautiful hair to as many people as possible. You are changing their minds and their understanding of what it means to have natural hair. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a wonderful thing. And as you may notice, uh, if you happen to be watching the video version of our podcast, my hair changes with each episode in some capacity. Yes, you'll see it in the the, uh, episode uh, photos as well, which they don't always end up on the podcast sites. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're not watching the video, I would highly recommend checking out our YouTube channel. You can find us at Funtime Podcast program fun time program on he really knows youtube the name of you our know. podcast he's hey, really good at it you know words aren't my strong suit <laughs> what can i say if you're not sure how to find that go to our website funtimeprogram.com we have links to our youtube channel as well as and you can also just see all the fun pictures of me i'm adorable exactly. or you can also follow me on instagram goddess of electricity it's me that's right so that is vivica volt She is our trailblazer. She is leading the charge here. She is our daily inspiration when it comes to, uh, you know, changing the world. Also, if you have recommendations of styles that you think I should try or that you think would look really great on me, please send them my way. I will happily try any style that you think would look great on me that I think is within my skill range because I'm still just doing my hair by myself. There is no stylist that I am going to currently, but I do have a stylist in Greenpoint who is really great, who uh, specializes in natural hair that if the moment arises and there is a particular style that gets sent to me, that someone really wants to see me try. I can't wait to see. Uh, We're we're going to, we're going to have to do a whole episode where we review all the hairstyles that you've done over over the years and and then we'll do another one where we review all the outfits that i've worn and -hmm. it'll be like five the four t-shirts yeah you know this is this is a new one i don't think i've worn this one yet oh i think it is new we're we're breaking ground today crazy look at me awesome so yeah if you're going to reach out to us i'm just going to drop your email you better get ready for this it's vivica at funtimeprogram.com send send us your favorite hairstyles that you want to see vivica experimenting with you can also 
You can also reach us on any of the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter. What are the other Instagram. ones? Instagram. Are there more? Reddit. Reddit. We're a fun time program on you all of Reddit those. so much. How I do you forget? You're you know. the one that runs our Reddit. I, I am. Yes. Reddit. Reddit is a thing and it's, it's a necessity. So yeah, get in touch with us. Leave us a comment. Let us know how you guys feel about the Crown Act, about natural hair, about this movement. You know, how important is this to your daily life? And, and you know, what is it like in your local community? You know, do you see people wearing their hair in natural ways? Do you see people embracing the natural hair movement? And do you see people who maybe are not a part of those communities being accepting of it? Uh, what has your experience been like? We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment. If you are watching this on YouTube, definitely leave a comment. Leave us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. definitely subscribe. But if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast platforms, please leave us a review. It Rate us. makes all the difference in getting our podcast exposed to other people. If you like what you're seeing here, what you're listening to, if you want friends. more people to discover this show, yeah, leave us a review, share it with your friends. It means the world to us. We love it. Yeah. And we hope you guys are having a great day and get ready for our next episode. I'm so excited. We are having the coolest guest, the coolest guest, one of the authors from the recent paper that was published out of MIT in collaboration with Essex University, Suffolk, I don't know, someplace in England, Suffolk. they discovered phosphine gas in the clouds of Venus and it is their uh, um a contention it, it might actually lead to life on venus like they, it might point to life on venus which is so cool the theory so cool. that they're working with is that phosphine is a we're gonna talk about it tomorrow is a biosignature of life don't, don't get away. and we discovered it here in our solar system so we're gonna talk to dr sukrit ranjan out of mit one of the co-authors on this paper stay tuned st stick around for that episode we'll be back with that probably tomorrow mm -hmm. so yeah thanks guys we will see you here very soon in the next one have a great one. Bye.